This episode is brought to you by the generous patrons who supported us over at patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we want to give a big thank you to our patrons, Kate, Prostaskius, Leroy, Josh, Tiana, Falangor, Spike, Chris, Konohamaru, Starry, Logan, Punch and Potato, Jen Solo, and, and Booyag. Thank you all again for helping us to put a little more inspiration out into the world. And now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a rainy day episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. How's it going? Good. Although it's not raining around here where I am, uh, which is too bad. I love that wet desert smell. Yeah. It, what, what is the wet desert? I feel like that's almost an oxymoron. Have you ever heard the band America? They do songs like A Horse With No Name and Tin Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it smells like that. Ah, I see. I see. I definitely, definitely get what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've been getting into my more, my more esoteric side lately, getting involved with the way things feel uh, more than what they are, uh, which hmm. has been a nice break um, from the more logic-driven content I, I typically uh, teach. Mm. So I've been able to do painting again. And one of the exercises I gave my class was um, to create a color palette for a person that they know based on how they feel, hmm. uh, which was kind of interesting. So, you know, we've got one guy at our school who's like the rule guy, right? He's the enforcer. So he got like lots of grays and blacks and stuff and he got uh, like with like a little spot of blue or something right interesting and, you know whereas our principal got all these like purples it was very sort of regal little yellow compliments uh, uh, the school counselor got all these bright springtime colors um i got some yours like, i got like a, a lot of earth tones like greens and browns Oh, which I, okay. Which I liked. I liked that. But I, I got a variety. Like people saw me different ways, which was kind of cool. You ever think of somebody and think of them as a color? Like, do you associate people you know with colors? I maybe I even just one. I can't say that I do. I mean, I if somebody has mentioned to me that they have a favorite color, I I feel like I can usually remember it. Um, like my yeah, wife's a lot, a favorite lot of people, color is usually orange. My daughter's sure. favorite color is pink. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing. My, my favorite color actually fluctuates between white and green, hmm. but you know, for whatever that's worth. I don't know if I've ever met anyone whose favorite color was white. I think I, I like that it, uh, it's I, rare. Like, I like how clean it feels and yeah. like the, uh, just I feel like it has a connection to possibilities, you know, mm, like that that like blank, blank sheet of uh, plate yeah. paper. Like you can do so much with That's a true. white space where, you know, if you have a black space, it's pretty much completely occupied. It's it unless you're using um like a you know, like a like a thick pigment 
or something. But typically, if some, you know, if you're a kid and somebody hands you a sheet of black construction paper and says, here, color with crayons on this, like, you, you know, you're not expecting any results. Right. My favorite you, color is black. Mm, isn't that funny? Yes. Yes, it is. You know, we're that's what we represent. Right. The the two sides of the crazy coin. You are the you are the yin to my yang. I guess so. I forget which one's which, but you're probably right. I or left. <laughs> I mean, depending on which way you turn the circle, right? Anyway, th- things are going well. I'm, I'm having a good time. I I went to my boss and I said, look, I, I'm starting to fall in love with art again. I'm starting mm. to get more in touch with like who I think I am. And maybe I don't want to teach government anymore. Mm. Um, I, I and, fully support that. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I feel like I've taken it where I can take it. And, you know, I'm just kind of. I'm ready to get back into the providing creative. a very different service to the students. I love being able to talk to them on that level of, hey, you know, all that other thinking you're doing all day. Let's do the exact opposite of all of that. Yeah. And let's get you to kind of relax. And like, I'm not trying to make people like draw perfectly. You know, I'm I'm more interested in getting them. To grow, number one, that's the most important, but number two, to really get that expression, to express themselves. And that sounds very like art teachery, right? But at the same time. Yeah, it sure does. It really does. And that's like so not who I used to be. But, you know, I think as as I'm getting older, you know, I'm starting to, I don't know, all of our perspectives need to change at some point in our development, you know, and. This is where well, I'm at. And, and the students really respond positively. You know, does, like the, it's like therapy time. Yeah. And it does seem like um, and and I I think I've I've experienced this a little bit, but probably not near to the extent you have. But uh, where, you know, as as we as we get older, we need we need to have a a, a grouchy old guy comment jar as well but um <laughs> uh right alongside Indeed. our elden ring jar uh but yeah. i i i feel like as as we get older some of the things that we used to place a lot of importance on and a lot of emphasis on in our own heads tends to kind of diminish a a bit like um like the way that you're saying that uh, you're not trying to make people you know draw perfectly you know back in the day i especially when we were in school and for several years after that you know there was a little part of my brain that was like you know what if i went back to school and uh got like a like an art teaching credential or something like that and then i thought about if I would like teaching art or not. And I ultimately decided not to do it because I felt like I would be such a stickler for perfection and that I just would have no patience for kids who didn't want to take it seriously and stuff Mm. that it would just be a miserable experience where now, you know, 
hearing how you are approaching your classes with this kind of um, it, it feels like it is much more adaptable to the individual student where it's like, I want to yeah. see growth. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm comparing you to your peers. I'm comparing you to yourself. Correct. And, and, seeing- and, and, and that's what I want them to do as right. well, because that looking over and going, well, I was inspired to, to draw, but then I went on to art station for half an hour and now I don't believe in myself. Like, yep. you know, you know, that feeling. Oh, and so that's something I really want kids to get away from. Some of the more emotional moments I've had in class has been with students that are actually high performing, high achieving students who are always high strung mm. because perfection is demanded at yeah. home and perhaps to the extent that I wouldn't say is, is pushing you to somewhere ultimately positive Yeah, because I have seen a lot of really, I've seen a lot of kids that have been extremely successful in mm. school, burn out early in college um, mm. or just like entirely crash and burn. And like you just can't whip your kids into into happiness. In, and in fact, you will probably wind up doing the opposite. We tend as as parents to rule based on our own fears. Mm. And as teachers, I think we do that as well. I, everything that we're making them do is for their good, at least we hope so, and it's for their survival. But sometimes that can come at the cost of the soul. And that mm. is something that that also needs to be cultivated. And but it's much, much harder to quantify that, which is yeah. why they don't have soul health as one of the state exams. <laughs> oh man, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, it would it would be something. But I think at this point they're they're starting to get to a lot of them are finally starting to wrap their head around. I don't have to be perfect. Mm. And that is the main goal. And I, and I have a lot of starter students that just fuss and fuss and fuss. I'm not perfect. I'm not as good as these people. It's like, just let go, man. Yeah. Just yeah. let go of that. It's, You're, it's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard to do. It is hard to do. And, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on at home, but mm. I know it's not always sunshine and rainbows. Oh, sure. And it's, you know, it's like that Pink Floyd lyric. Let me put all my fears into you. Mm. Um, you know, this is something that, that we do. And anyway, this that's I guess that's the inspiration point I've had kind of this week. Just thinking about. Yeah. You know, I think about secret ingredient all the time. Mm. I, I find I'm thinking about it more and more just mm. as part of the, the day job. And uh, maybe it's the new meds or something, but <laughs> hey. you know, I feel really in touch with, with that side of myself, you know, that, and for, for what it's worth to, cause I know that, um, you know, uh, medication for mental health and well being and stuff can, can come with a little bit of stigma and especially in certain circles and whatnot. Um, yeah. so 
to anyone out there who might be struggling with depression or going through um, struggles like that where you or just anxiety. Yeah. And anything yeah. going on in your head where it feels like things are just maybe not quite right or where you would like them to be. Go get help. There's nothing wrong with it. And and seeking out help can make a massive, massive difference in your life. So, you know, take take that for what it's worth. Um, well, I, yeah, I want to I want to echo that a little bit and say I don't mind being up front with anyone who's who's listening to this show. Oh, I yeah. needed to get help and I went and I got it mm. and I'm on a couple of different things right now and mm. I find them to be tremendously helpful. Yeah. Uh, in a way that I can't believe I waited this long. I hear to, that from a lot of people who. Yeah. Uh, who are helped by these kinds of, of medications. Like, you know, once, especially once you find not only the right thing, but the right dosage and it just, it, it just fits it. Holy moly. The, the difference it can make is really incredible. Yeah. You, you don't, necessarily have to live with all that misery I mean, we, neither one of us are mental health experts but oh we not by you know a long shot. but we can just say hey you know in this space you're you are understood and and safe yeah. and all that good stuff and you know we feel for you and like i Definitely. say i don't i don't i don't mind sharing that about myself yeah you know if that's Absolutely. helpful to anyone with um you know and i i've mentioned this a few times before, but you know, I, I deal with ADD and that sort of thing. And, uh, as well as, you know, fatigue issues that, hmm. you know, I'll feel my energy will feel sapped. Yeah. Even if I get a good solid eight hours, I'm like exhausted within, you know, being awake for like three or four and I'm yeah. already ready to just sack out again. Um, finding the right medication for that, you know, to be able to just keep me going all day and yeah. to have the energy that it seems like everyone else just naturally has is, you know, it blows my mind and it's, uh, yeah, it's easy. You know, we all, and this, you know, this actually applies to RPGs in a lot of ways, you know, the way that we as individuals, which is, you know, using a plural to refer to a singular, but, um, you know, each of us processes the things that we experience in our own way. And to a certain extent, it can even be difficult to, to actually prove that, you know, if I look at a yellow thing and you look at a yellow thing that, that you are definitively seeing it exactly the way I am. Yeah. You know, like I've, like I've heard that before. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a brain bending thing to think about. But, you know, it at least goes so far as to as to say that, you know, even if we are all experiencing the same event or the same thing, you know, sitting at the same game table, if I'm sitting there and your students are sitting there as well and you're narrating to us. And we're not all just looking at a screen or something. You're actually 
describing something to us. The image that's popping up in my head that I'm creating is not necessarily or almost definitely not going to be a match to what the person across the table from me is imagining, even though we're both hearing the same words come from you, which is it's a fascinating thing to think about. And well, also our our memory of those things can can be wildly different and Oh, absolutely. And, and change uh, over time. But yeah, uh, it, it is kind of interesting. And I, and I apply that thinking when it comes to disagreements at the table sometimes. Mm. Like I think a lot of times we, like when there are those vehement sort of emotional arguments that can crop up, um, a lot of times it comes from a place of, you know, honesty from both sides, you know. Yeah where both of them have the the reality that they have observed and re- even recorded right and then they don't match with the other person yeah right uh that's that's part of the human experience unfortunately mm. like on the one hand it gives us a lot of differing perspective which could be very valuable but it can also lead to a lot of trouble and and one thing that's helped me is just to know that just mm. to know that that kind of thing happens yeah. and that, and that we don't yellow isn't always yellow to yeah. ourselves. whether or not we literally see that color. It is still a thing where we feel things differently. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, it can be, it can be a lot to, to wrap your head around. Um, like just let go of this idea that like you know what the objective truth of things is. Sure. You know what I mean? Because like even the way we see anything physically is based on an interpretation given to us by our brains. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't see anything literally how it is. Yeah. It's just, you know, what's being fed through our through our eyes. So, and like I say, I'm getting really in touch with my esoteric side, guys. So I'm sorry for for being a little bit flighty, maybe. No, it's uh, I it's it's heady stuff. And um, and it's it's really interesting, you know, thinking about these different perspectives and how we all approach different things and how that can impact, you know, what we like, what we don't like, what resonates that's, that's with us, also why what doesn't. Listening is so important mm. because we like a lot of times we want to fill in, you know, and you really got to you really got to wait. You got to hear them out. You, you could just solve a lot more problems by just hearing each other. I hear you. You know, you know and don't. Yeah. Thanks, man. And don't guess. <laughs> right. And don't hint and expect to be guessed. Oh. These are th- these are things that will lead to disaster, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. All three of which are uh, to be avoided. To be avoided, indeed. So tonight it is your topic, my yeah. dude. What do you got for us? So one of the challenges that all teachers have is to draw meaningful questions out of students. Oh, if you, if you stand up and you say, does anyone have questions? Nope. Nope. 
shut down, right? Yep. That's that's not the right way to do things. So I, I was watching another teacher do this, and she did a thing where um, she asked everyone the question, like, what do you know about this topic? And gave everybody a, a sticky note, and we all put it up on the, on ah. the wall. And then she said, you know, what is something you would like to know about this topic or you know, what questions do you have about it? And then we were able to write that down and, and put that up on the wall. And then she was going through and and answering the questions that were on the wall. Right. And just doing it one by one. Well, I thought that's a great technique. So I did that for D&D. Yeah. On a, on a day where I was feeling like I just want to improv, improvise. I don't want to read a slide or anything today. And so I just had them do that. So I have some questions. I know we've done like a question episode like this before, and it wasn't even that long ago, but I have more of them. And I thought, let's try to do something that you and I are both bad at, which is to answer something succinctly and quickly. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Okay. So so I can only give like a like a five word answer max or something like that. Well, no, no, I'm not that crazy, but like you got a few seconds, okay. you know, get, give me like we, we take horses and we beat them. And when they're dead, we keep beating them. And you know, this time you just, you, you kill the horse. You're done. I'm, I'm very, I'm very pro horse too. Like I, I'm, I'm a horse guy. That's right. Um, and so we need to be merciful to them. And show their dead bodies respect. Yeah. Love, okay. love, 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 horses. love your horse corpses. That's what we're saying. <laughs> love your horses before they become corpses. That's fun to say. It is fun to say. It's a, it's a bit morbid. But, yes. Uh, love your horses before they become corpses. Ooh, that's like a vocal warm up. I like that. Love your horses well, before they become corpses. Mm, that's no, right. No, no, well, no, no, no. Andrew, if it behooves you to continue, I have some oh, questions here. To, it's uh, funny because the <laughs> horses have the hooves. <laughs> yes, oh, they do. Yeah, so oh. our main topic is to hit these questions. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're going to hit these questions like like quickly without restating things over and over. We yeah, let's rapid wanna, dash through these as uh, quickly. So let's trot through them. Uh-huh. Shall we? You threw a um, Pokemon in there. I don't know if that So, counts. listeners, saddle up. Uh, we are going <sighs> to get these questions one at a time. <laughs> we'll just giddy on up there. Yeah. How can I get past a creative block when writing a story? Stop writing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and really like that, that may, you know, initially come off as a little bit of a joke answer, depending on, you know, how you consider it. But yeah, like don't force it. Don't force it when it's like, yeah, you'll gonna come out gross. It, well, sometimes writing, sometimes you do got to push writing is sometimes you just got to sit and do it. Writing is a, is weird that way like i it is i definitely get that way where i will have times where i just for whatever reason i can't bring myself to sit down and just type stuff and you know 
art can be like that too, really, if especially if you're kind of uh, out of practice. Sometimes just sitting down and letting your muscles move, letting that pencil just scratch all over the paper, regardless of what is actually showing up, treat writing that way too. And, uh, you know, if, if you are struggling with, and that's time, that uh, is, uh, that's time for our answer. Andrew, you dude, you got to edit my guy. You, I know. Gotta, we got to get to the good stuff. I know, I know this is your thought process. This, you go around the answer around and around and around. And then finally you get to the center, uh, of the Tootsie pop, but you need to be like Mr. Owl and just bite it. All right. <laughs> so, um, also another thing I wanted to say was, uh, write down the thing that logically is going to happen and then put that on a piece of paper and then throw that away. Ah, and then, and then the, the write down approach. a few more possibility. Yeah. The Pixar approach, right? Okay. Another one. Should you always try to be the best in combat? No. Next. <laughs> How's that? Huh? Well, yeah, I and to build on the note, because I agree with you, <laughs> uh, but you should, number one, know how all your crap works for the pace of the game. Um, you should be your best in terms of I know my I know the rules that shows respect for the rest of the table. Having said that, I don't need to have the highest DPR, right? I don't like, have to co- cast conjure animals just because. Triant Monk Temple said that it's the best spell in the game, right? What, whatever it is you're doing, know how to do what you're doing, but yeah. don't go comparing yourself to to anyone else at the table unless that comparison is, you know, is this person playing competently? Yeah, that's what World of Warcraft is for, right? Like, if you just want to compare a big number, then yep, that's the better place to do that. Um, okay. Next question. That was How better. do you create? Yeah, that was a lot better. Good job. Thanks. I, Cause it was a combat question. You like, don't like that subject as much. <laughs> but when I say, I say the writing question, you're like, well, okay, here we go. So anyway, the next one is, this is going to be more Andrew's jam. How do okay. you create a good background for a character? Oh boy. That's something you're basically working on right now. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's but, a, uh, what are some of the the broad rules like out of all the years of playing that you've done? What are, what, what is the bullet point response? Think, think about the things, think about the things that make you who you are in, in general terms and ask those same kinds of questions about your character. Like, uh, do they have, are, are their parents still around? Do they get along with their parents? What kind of area did they grow up in? Were, were they wealthy or were they poor? Um, you know, what's one thing they like, one thing they don't like, and why? Yeah. You know, th- things like that. Think about the things that make you who you are, the very simple general things, and try to ask that about your character. Also, you know, what do they, what do they, what do they hope for? That's a good one. Like what's a, what's a dream or a special goal they have. That's that can always help you with driving things. 
Yeah, I think in when I approach fifth edition and hit the book, I actually like to do background first a lot of times. It's a um, great place to start. It's a great place to start because this it, it puts it in chronological order. It also, I mean, I guess technically you're a race first before you're one of those, but sure. Also, it gives you uh, two skills right away, which can be redundant with your um, uh, with your class. I know that's not the question, but that's well, the really it it kind of can be because if you think about it, the background the skills that come with the background are hints as to things that can help you role play that background. They have those skills because they pertain to what it is, you know? Absolutely. By the way, pick sailor because sailor has perception. Um, let's see. Uh, next one. How do I get players emotionally involved? So take that gigantic question and answer that in 10 seconds. <laughs> so assuming that they have backstories or, yeah. you know, take whatever it is the player brings to the table and work that in Resp- Use what the player yeah. gives you in a meaningful way. Whether that's conscious or unconscious, like sometimes if you ask a player like just straight out, they can tell you. But a lot of people don't really know what they want. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you just observe that over time. Like, hey, when I complimented his the thing he did, he responded or he didn't respond. You know, uh, when this other player did a thing, he responded a certain way. You know, you can kind of identify those player types that we've talked about. Yeah. Before and then try to include those things and then just spotlight them when they come up for that player. But um, in terms in terms of, you know, writing story and things like that, if if you just come up with a neat story that is neat to you, but doesn't involve the the player characters in any meaningful way, if they're just kind of there participating and whatever, but you don't tie things to them. You want to give them a a way to relate to what you're presenting them. Don't just go look at this cool thing I made because they might well go, Ooh, that's cool, but that's not going to it. I shouldn't say it's not, it's rarely going to prompt strong emotional responses it's one of those things that's difficult to force let's say and and it's not something you should force really no it's it's not you're right um sometimes we want those tears to come out but sometimes the timing's not right sometimes people aren't in that headspace sometimes one emotional response for one player is different than another but yeah i mean if you hit someone in the kneecaps with a baseball bat you'll make them cry but it's probably not a good thing that you did it (laughs) <laughs> and there you have it kids um where's my yeah, money man where's my money the, the shortest way i could answer this question how do i get players emotionally involved is to listen to them yeah okay uh next question how to make a smart villain without being a smart person <laughs> i love this question by the way I, this is a fantastic I, question design things in reverse right yeah right like yeah. start 
start assuming that the villain has achieved their goal and then just basically play connect the dots or fill in the blanks and go, okay, six months from where the campaign is now, he's taken over the world and he's a sorcerer and he's got mommy issues. So how could he have gotten from where he is now to then and just start filling in the blanks and try to then work in what everyone else is doing and how the villain would respond to those things. One other trick, uh, by the way, that's, that's a good piece of advice. Thanks. Uh, but one other thing I, I would add is make your villain not talk that much. Um, Oh yeah. Having them or just have them off screen. Cause have them off screen, have a subordinate be the dumb one for them. Yeah. That might be good. Um, because if you aren't smart and <laughs> Hey, you know, I've definitely been that guy more times than I care to admit. Uh, if you are the mouthpiece for this person, that's supposed to be a genius sooner or later, you're going to run into a disconnect. You're going to go, well, what I just said there was dumb, but imagine him saying it much more eloquently or, you know, Correct. something like that. But what you really ought to do is actually similar to how you can uh, play with the with elements of fear and uh, getting those kinds of reactions too by basically letting the players heads fill in all the gaps on their own. So hint at things, suggest at things and let them go figure it out. Jesus. How's he coming up with all that? Oh, I don't know. So I, I, I kind of did this a little bit in last night's game where you guys got in contact with a character that was meant to be very, very intelligent. Right. And I don't consider myself as intelligent as this character is meant to be. Um, and so I did the teachery thing with her and I just asked a bunch of questions that were kind of leading, but mm -hmm. open-ended enough. And then that got you guys thinking and achieved the same ends. Mm -hmm. Right. Because also it would have been lame if I had shown up and said, okay, well here's the right answer because now it's an NPC that solved the problem. Right. Right. I mean, this question specifically about a villain though. Right. And, and I think we've all been in that position where we have presented our evil plan and then everyone just pokes, pokes holes in it Yep. or, or a player outsmarts you or outsasses you yep. or whatever. And then now like kind of the piss has been taken out of them. Yeah. You know, that's the feeling that this person, you know, wants to avoid and it can be a difficult thing. And I would just say, if you're not confident in your wit, then minimize dialogue and yeah. allow actions to, to speak instead. And um, for, for what it's worth to uh, just in terms of a more uh, tool based answer, um, go check out uh, if, if you haven't the monsters know what they're doing by Keith Amon. Mm -hmm. um, he's got several uh, segments in that book that directly talk about intelligence and 
this is focusing on D and D fifth edition. Um, but he talks about how high intelligence scores can be, can translate into, uh, monster behavior. And generally Absolutely. when you're talking about monsters that have extremely high intelligence, high intelligence those are going to be your big bads or, or something similar large scale challenges where there's a mental aspect to them. And, uh, the monsters know what they're doing presents, uh, at least several approaches to how you can kind of manifest and, uh, represent that high intelligence in terms of mechanics, which, uh, mm-hmm. might be something that, uh, some of you out there might be, might feel more comfortable with one last pro tip I'll throw in there is the villain who is intelligent is not typically going to put themselves in arm's reach and they're not going to put themselves in danger. Right. Um, the smartest character or at least villain in all of Marvel comics is probably Dr. Doom. Mm. And I don't know how many people have actually ever spoken to Dr. Doom face to face. Because he always has doom bots for everything. Hmm. And they're they're the ones always talking to people. Um, Smart. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah, he uses proxies. He doesn't give himself the opportunity to get killed. Um, Yeah. So anyway, uh, next question. Ready? Ready, ready. How to run a module? (laughs) Don't. Don't. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Running running a module, uh, there are there are different approaches to it. Quite honestly, um, I would I would first recommend um, Dragna Carta, who I hugely respect. Um, if any of you haven't heard of him, he's the GM behind the uh, Twice Bitten podcast that actually wrapped up just a little while ago and it's a a big playthrough of curse of strahd he's a genius when it comes to that uh campaign anyway Um, well (laughs) just i'm just establishing his bona fides okay he uh he does a lot of writing for a website called flutesloot.com and he actually put up an article over there a little while back that goes that answers this question specifically that breaks down how to approach a new module and how to kind of process what's there because especially if you're looking at fifth ed modules they write them in a way that makes them fun to read but because a lot of their customers pick these things up not actually to run them just for the pleasure of reading the modules so there can be a lot of fluff and a lot of flavor text and stuff that is not necessarily practical to use that can make running the module difficult instead of just handing you like bullet points so i would say go check out uh dragna carta's article over on flutesloot.com and give it a read because he he gives a better rundown of how to do it than I could do here. I would say with the exception of Curse of Strahd, because people are always singing that one's praises, that one and um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I would say none of the stories are so genius that you would need to follow them to get a fun experience. Like, you know, maybe, you know, I would just say, go through the book, steal your favorite parts and then sure. Transform it into your own game. Right. So that would be my advice. Like I've run a module now. It was fine. But there were a lot of limitations that I I, I just wasn't thrilled with. Um, but it gave me but some good ideas and it made me think of the game a little differently. So, I mean, it wasn't not valuable. Sure. But and and it is um, it is definitely uh, one of those things that is hugely dependent on personal preference. I, I know of some GMs out there who exclusively run modules because it just their brain works better with having a module there to run off of. Um, But I would definitely say at at least as a baseline rule, read through it before you try to run it, read through the whole thing. You don't have to memorize all of it, but have a good understanding of what's there and what the module is trying to do. I kind of be familiar with the roadmap. Yeah. And that'll, that'll make, some of your own decision making a little easier. You'll you'll then have an idea of, oh, I want to keep this thing. I want to get rid of this thing. And Mm -hmm. also know that nobody from Wizards of the Coast or anywhere else in the community, unless you're like throwing, you know, your sessions up on Reddit or whatever um, or running a live stream, nobody's going to judge how you run your module. That's true. So you you literally you get a little factoid wrong who cares yeah no right. n- nobody knows un- unless you got a player at your table who's going to be a jerk about it right. you know it's run it how you want to run it and don't worry about anything else you know don't go comparing yourself to other gms kind of like what we were talking about with yeah Adam's exactly class you know just do your thing and have fun how do i develop a civilization Pick up spectacular settlements and <laughs> ah, there it is. Got to get that plug. Um, That's not a bad way to start, though. I mean, but I, you know, I think the advice I gave was to start zoomed in and then slowly zoom out and don't develop everything beforehand. I think um, I want to start with where the gameplay is going to happen, where, what the major gameplay features are going to be. And what is the main story you want to tell? And just start with what is this street that I'm on? Mm. And then slowly develop outwards. I, uh, that's that's the method I like. I might personally disagree on that, if only because I don't think that that necessarily. And, and to be fair, I also don't think that Spectacular Settlements really addresses what this question is. Developing a civilization, uh, especially if it's like an ancient civilization or something like that, you know, if it's something that's been around a while versus something that's new, um, it it takes taking a look at history. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my favorite book series uh, is uh, Malazan Book of the Fallen by Stephen Erickson and uh, if you if you love reading, 
check these out because they're freaking incredible. I actually went through with the audiobooks and they're excellent too. So if if that's your jam. Um, but Steven Erickson is by trade a uh, an anthropologist and a um, oh my gosh, I forget the other one. Not a paleontologist, uh, archaeologist. So this guy like studies ancient civilizations. So and he puts his knowledge into creating the world that Malazan takes place in. And so, so is your advice to become an anthropologist? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. No, I, see. Um, I, I, I just present this example in terms of give Malazan a look or books like that. And just read this gigantic book series. No, but if you're you making a good civilization involves having an appreciation for history huh. and that uh, requires some reading like uh, you're it's going to be so steal from history. Yeah. Go look yeah, at other civilizations and and see what makes them special. 100 uh, percent. I absolutely agree with it. Um, yeah. Just take from history. I mean, that's what George Martin did. Yep. For a song of ice and fire. He took from the war of the roses. Um, even the names are similar, mm-hmm. um, which is totally why Sansa should have been, uh, the winner of the iron throne at the end of the day, but whatever David and Dan want to screw everything up. That's fine. Um, so it's, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just bitter because I lost the pool of predictions at my job. Um, I, but if that's, <laughs> I stomped our pool. It was so good. I loved it. Uh, if I had gotten anything that came from that finale, right. I would have been ashamed of myself. <laughs> um, cause it was just anyway. Um, it, I would say also one, one thing I did once was, uh, I actually played civilization. I don't know if anyone likes to play civilization who's listening to it, but like, you know, it's a pretty popular game and I really enjoy it a lot. And I was paying attention to the various decisions I was making. Mm. And I started like taking little notes and kind of developing a story alongside it. And so it became kind of organic. So that could be fun. One fun gimmick. It's, it's not a bad idea. Some, I mean, yeah, you know, it's not terrible. Even alongside that, you could look at the different, uh, the different trees and the different components that are, that civilization has because all the component parts within the game of civilization are basically milestones in what make different civilizations special, different things they discovered when they discovered them and what certain things chain reaction and lead toward as well. One thing that they really got into is Civ six, which I know a lot of people don't like six as much as the other ones, but um, one thing they did with six was really try to get you to adapt to the environment that was around you. Mm. Um, so instead of just like always rushing great library, first of all, like you would, you know, you, you would try to get these adjacency bonuses and go, well, there's trees around here and there's grapes over here and there's a patch of desert. What's the best that I can do with that? Um, and that would give you kind of this, uh, this creative jumping off point to like, why would the civilization 
be into this kind of thing? Well, because they had this resource or they didn't right. have this other one. Um, and these were their neighbors and that's how it was influenced. But one th- warning I would give to everyone is, you know, this is something we've said before is uh, avoid burnout. If you try to fully flesh out everything uh, before session one begins, it's a recipe for disaster. Right. Unless you just happen to be, have one of those personalities. Right. Um, that, but for the most part, I would keep things pretty broad. This could actually be one situation which using a module or at, or at least a campaign setting that already exists as a starting point can be helpful because then you already have, you know, maps, geography, maybe some world history to, to work off of. And then you could go, okay, if my made up civilization starts here on the map, there are these resources around. I've already got some information to work with. And that kind of helps give you some parameters that will make creating this sort of thing easier but you know also to whoever asked this question making a civilization especially a believable uh realistic feeling civilization is a lot of work you're you are staring down the barrel of something that is inherently complex so don't expect to do it quickly especially if you want to do it well give it time take bite-sized chunks out of it and, you know, be patient. But also your players aren't even interested in every little detail that is about the civilization. Just stick to the best beats, play the hits. Um, The next thing I'm going to say is how to make spells. (laughs) That's the question. How to make spells, how to make spells. Well, look at the spells that exist and first ask yourself, does the spell that I'm thinking about making need to exist? Because D&D specifically already has a boatload of spells. And, yeah. and they cover a wide range of things. Not all things. By by all means, you know, it's, it's not comprehensive. So, so your first piece of advice is to convince yourself this is not a necessary exercise <laughs> or rather make sure that that what you want to create is necessary then try to find something that's kind of similar that functions right. sort of like what you're imagining and build off of that and then you sure. use spells of a similar level as a point of reference if your spell does damage or things like that um and if if your spell does more than one thing you typically want those things to collectively be basically fireball does what is it 4d6 8d6 8D6 damage (laughs) um what am i thinking uh, so, but that's all it does. It's eight D six in an area. But if it was like, oh, I want a fire spell that also can, can stun or something like that. You probably want to cut that damage down 
assuming it's going to be the same kind of level, you want to you want to balance out uh, what the gains are based on what you can typically expect from a spell of a of equal level. It's yeah. Spell design is in itself a very finicky kind of almost art form. Um, And it's very easy to make a spell that is completely broken. So test it. Yeah, test it. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, Yeah, and I'm definitely with you on find something similar, similar level. Um, And just think about all the various little benefits and drawbacks that exist in that spell and then rebalance accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, if you can just get away with reflavoring something, flavor is free. Yep. Um, I would say that uh, if you want to play like an ice mage, but there's not that many ice spells, you know, you can just work with your GM and say, look, I want to reflavor, you know, Ray of a Raven Feeblement to be like a frosty thing. And I don't want it to do necrotic damage. I want it to do frost damage. Like that's that stuff is the easiest to Mm -hmm. do. Right now, if you want to add any effects, then maybe that costs you a little bit of damage or something like that. Or you make it a higher level or you make it a higher level. That's a other way to do it. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was just thinking about that. Like how many, like, is there a spell that allows you to freeze a character in place? It's like, well, not really, but there's like sleep and there's hold person and, you know, these things can work in, in similar ways and maybe they attack different saves or they occur right. different levels or there's some other, you know, end condition to it. Um, well, and but one thing I would like say cone is cone of cold. And I think there is a ray of frost and well, yeah, there is. There's a cantrip ray of frost, um, you know, but, and cone of cold is like a fourth level spell, I believe. So right. that's like getting up there fourth or fifth i i want to say i'm pretty sure fourth but, but now i'm doubting myself i i would i would just also um encourage people to remember that you know the the people that designed this game are professional game designers who you know are workshopping things constantly and it is probably very likely that they thought about including a spell that could freeze someone solid. And there's perhaps a reason that they didn't, you know, look at the, look at the conditions that do exist. Look at, you know, whether there are any examples of, you know, and for, for our example of, you know, like freezing someone in a block of ice, you know, look around and see if there's anything that could like straight up imprison somebody in something that they can't get out of. Chances are there are, there's not much of it. And that might be for a good reason. That's true. You know, so, um, so I would to that end also say, um, don't start homebrewing too much until you know what the game already does. Yep. <laughs> right because you i've seen things. even recently I've, I've seen players just go oh this thing gives you this huge buff and i'm just like you just ruined your game yep like 
<laughs> it's just a disaster. And it just comes from a place of, I don't want to learn. So I'm just going to make everything up. Yeah. Um, which is lazy. Okay. Uh, the next thing I'm going to say is, or the next question is punishing players in game. This is a harsh question. So take your belt off and just <laughs> whack them. Just beat them around the head and neck with just a broken bottle. Um, That's right. Don't. I. Yeah, this is uh, I don't like it's a difficult it's a difficult premise because, yeah, there's there's punishing your players and there's providing consequences to the characters and their actions. You are not as the GM, you are not the player's parent. You're correct. You're not there to to, you know, put them in time out or spank them or whatever the hell. Yeah. You don't have that authority, but it is your job to maintain a pleasant play experience at the table. If somebody's being disruptive, it is within your rights and also encouraged to take them aside at some point, maybe even right away. If it's, if it's a major present problem, but Talk to them and see what it is they are after and what they are looking for in in your game that maybe they aren't getting, which could lead to acting out. That's out of game stuff. Don't punish people for out of game stuff if it's like player to player like table issues. Well, it says specifically punishing players in game. In game. So in game. Yeah. So just think, I don't think about consequences. I don't think I killed Brenda's character because Brenda broke up with me. Like, I don't think that's the question. There are people <laughs> who would do that, too. That's messed up. Yeah. But also don't um, be that guy. Don't be that guy. Also, Brenda's probably not going to show up anyway because you broke up. Just. Um, but yeah. But like, if she does, that probably says a lot for your game. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. She's like, man, you and I just don't work at all. But, but man, this, you're a great GM. This is terrific. <laughs> like, um, I love this game. This is very that difficult. That would definitely situation. soften the blow for me. Right. Like that would definitely be uh, or make something. it worse. Yeah. Really maybe, wish like, you just leave. <laughs> not well, as long as, she, as long as she's not like dating the paladin. Right. You know, oh, that'd be like, rough. Sorry. The bard finally uh, finally did get to me. This is this is going <laughs> to a weird place. Um. In- I will say, can, can I throw in something too? Yeah. Like, I totally agree with you that like you are you can't spank them, right? Like that's yeah. gonna give a bad taste in the mouth. So there's there's two kinds of well, there's probably more than two, but there's two kinds of justice that people talk about. Um, one is uh, uh, punitive or retributive justice, um, where you make someone feel pain in exchange for the wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is restorative, uh, where we try to make the the offender and the offended uh, sort of whole yeah, yeah. by uh, bringing them to an understanding. And I think that we really want to go more for that second thing, right? In like characters in game can beat each other with stripes, you know, but we can't do that to players in a sort of parental overseeing way, right? Um, what we need to do sometimes is even stop the game. Yep. And, you know, call out certain behavior 
or we need to take people aside or whatever it is we need to do. And then we need to solve that problem. But if you're, but if you're talking about like, Oh, the rogue, you know, got caught stealing, then just let the natural order of things occur. Right. right? That's, that's fine. You know, that, that the rogue should be cool with that. And if they're not, then fine, you get to get a new player. (laughs) Um, I would say, you know, something, something else to, consider is um session zero and we we've had we've had an episode about this idea too uh is all about setting expectations when before you start playing make sure that everyone at the table understands that you are playing a cooperative game and there's Unless you actively decide otherwise, there's no place for certain kinds of behavior. You're going to treat each other as as players respectfully. You're you know, no, you lay down rules like no stealing. If you're the rogue, no stealing from other players or, you know, basic, basic uh guidelines of etiquette and decency things that may seem like they shouldn't need to be said but they do sometimes they do yeah you might be surprised i mean well i won't get too much into it because i want to move on to the next question yeah you're right let's just say that okay um how do you improvise when you're bad at improvising (laughs) well how do you improve anything andrew well the same way you get to carnegie hall right yeah practice 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 practice. all right next question what is the hands down best magical item oh i love that question that's so arbitrary oh right that's that's fantastic i ended up having to like kind of amend and say what my favorite potion of animal friendship absolutely ding 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 that's the way yeah obviously um also staff of the drift globe um yeah staff of the woodlands is pretty good i woke up horses that's all i do that's all i need is that your pick andrew is that your your pick the staff of the woodlands (laughs) i i'm don't you know i haven't gotten to have enough magic items to really have a favorite Sure. And I, you know, that's totally fine. And of course, this question is, you know, a lot of items are the best item in a certain situation. Yeah. Depends on what Um, your game is. One item I'm never going to give players ever again (laughs) because I regretted it uh, was Nolzer's Marvelous Pigments. Um, (laughs) That one, that one, if used properly, can just kill your session. It can break your game. Now, Um, now that. That's a whole different question because there are certain magic items that that can have extreme impact. Whether or not that makes it the air quotes best. I mean, best. Think think about the deck of many things. Like right, yeah. Technically that can be the most powerful moly. depending on what card you draw. But let me let me amend the question a little bit and just ask you: Do you have a favorite item? I don't. I mean that that that's the simple answer. There are, um, yeah. you know the 
for for my kind of characters that I like to play, I like the the uh, the belt of giant strength, like the belt of storm giant strength. If you get a hold of one of those bad boys, you can if you got that and athletics, you, you can do some fun stuff. Um, but so so strength go burr. That's yeah. I mean, basically um, anything that just gives you the cap gives you more all around adaptable capability. Those are the things I like. Okay, okay, that's very cool. I um, I'm a sucker for good good weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, I like when they can Holy um, Avenger. Not even not so much the Holy Avenger actually. Like no. there are some things about the Holy Avenger that are cool. Um, but like, I want something that enhances gameplay in some way, or like helps me express a combat identity. Mm. So one of my favorite items is actually the Dwarven Thrower. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because when my paladin got to have that, that was awesome because one of the negatives of being a melee class is having to run and catch up with everything. Yep. Um, having even a short ish range option is amazing. Um, so that's great. Uh, I also, I like the javelin of lightning because it can be, it again, gives you that sort of versatility and has a lot of flavor on it. Um, I just got one of the Greyhawk swords that allows you to attack back after you take damage. Nice. And, uh, and I absolutely love that weapon. That weapon's awesome. So like, cause it gives me something extra to do with my reaction. There you go. And and it's also on theme for my character. Like, you know, it's kind of like the ashes of war in Elden Ring. <laughs> oh, put a dollar in the jar. Put a dollar in the jar, you know. That it's true um, though. I mean, it this just goes to show you it the what the air quotes best magic item is is utterly contingent upon you and your own preferences as a player. Like I, Mm -hmm. I like, I like utility. I like feeling like whatever the magic item is lets me just do more of the stuff I like and gives me more, uh, general utility options. You're looking for things that allow you to kind of maximize your combat experience or sometimes, uh, fill in gaps that you might have in your build. Um, like, you know, like, like gameplay with, with flavor, mm-hmm. you know, is, is something I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to. Like technically getting a plus five sword would be like the best thing to happen to you. Right. But like that, that's a boring item. Mm. Right. Like to me, that's just not exciting. Um, whereas, you know, especially if you were to get that belt of giant strength on a character with eight strength, that's really interesting. Yeah. Be- because that now the wizard gets completely new interactions with the game, right? Or putting like even something smaller, like gauntlets of ogre power, or there's like a headband of intellect, you know, you can put that on a a fighter. And now all of a sudden they have completely different way of interfacing with the game, which I I like those items as well. That just set ability scores. Um, And you never, you, you shouldn't put it on someone to pump up their, ability by two you should give it to someone to pump up their ability by eight or ten right um that's to me that's just way more interesting all right okay one more okay uh i've how about this how about a rapid fire 
super rapid fire. All right. Okay. You get a quick answer. Okay. Dead ends and how to get past them. What What do you mean dead ends? So I would say there is a lull in the gameplay. I don't really know what to do next. What do I do? Stop the session and prep for the next one. Give yourself some time to think. Okay. I would probably amend that a little bit. I would say take a break. Uh, tell everyone to go get a snack and then quickly look up a monster in the book and have a combat. Um, but that's just me. Okay. Um, next, I would say, oh, the next question is how to deal with other overpowered players that one shot everything. Throw something bigger at them. <laughs> they won't one shot a Tarrasque. <laughs> no, just- sir. I mean, that is one way of solving it. Just murder them. Um, Give your monsters thing you can more always, hit points. <laughs> almost every character has a counter. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, in, in the campaign I'm in, I was just shutting down most things with either banish or hold monster. Uh, then we had an encounter where their saves were super high or they had legendary resistances or had it some other effect that made that kind of shut down impossible or at least not easy up front right like there's a lot of counterplay in dungeons and dragons if you know where to look um also if you're trying if your players keep one-shotting things uh play and i'm sorry but play the monster better go pick there's also go pick up the monsters know what they're doing read it and understand how to effectively use the environment. Also just read the read beyond the stat block too. like actually read the bio because a lot of times they give you great advice on how to play that monster. Yeah. And what their sort of personality is. And that usually plays into things like their ability scores. But most of the time you're right. We just make the monster show up and then it runs at the players and then it dies. And then we wonder why. Right. Right. Have like, why is this mind flayer such a high CR? I did one attack and then I got murdered. It's like, well, cause you didn't play a character that had 18 intelligence. Right. Right. Okay. Next question. This is a good one that you've answered a lot in the past. How often should I use checks? Only when you need to basically, if there's a reasonable chance of failure and if the failure is dramatically interesting, if you, yes. if you, if whatever the character wants to do, if you could reasonably expect that character to just know how to skillfully do that thing, just let them do it and move on. Yeah, I really don't have too much more to add to that. Um, how to make emotional connections between characters? Well, that's up to your players. You know, you're. Well, I have an answer. Go ahead. The secret ingredient is love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen. Speak honestly, get, give Speak them privately, give them opportunities and cues to role play between one another. If your players are only engaging with you, they're only playing half the potential game. They should be role playing between one another and exchanging dialogue and thoughts and building relationships between one another. If they're not doing that, you're not going to get emotional connections or any kind of connections, really. I'm going to say this also. 
a simple compliment can just go a hundred miles. Like it can just really go a lot of ways. Like I have a player that I play with in a game and they're like, I love it when you, when you talk about what a badass my character is. Mm. I love it when you compliment me. I love it when you're aware and make me feel seen and all that good stuff. Right. Like that's why I love support classes like Bard where I can make other players feel good. Mm. Uh, not just stat wise, but I literally take a moment and say, wow, that thing you did was cool. Wow. That was really smart. That was a great idea. Um, man, that move you pulled off was clutch. Stop complimenting yourself all the time. Cause I hate it when players do that. Stop talking about the cool thing you did. Talk about the cool thing someone else did. But if you notice that- somebody else constantly feeling the need to talk about themselves, maybe just maybe they're feeling like no one else is. Maybe that's a hint. That's a hint. And I think a lot of times our knee jerk is I'm not going to give that person any credit because they're annoying me. Yep. Right. And I don't want to encourage the idea that they deserve compliments. It's like, yeah, but the reason that they're acting out that way is probably because they do feel a little bit invisible. Yep. Um, okay, next question. How can you get better at playing in character? Practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice, practice. Ask ask, um, ask yourself those questions I mentioned earlier about the character backstory yeah. stuff. Ask yourself those questions about your character and not only answer them, but understand the answers, kind of internalize the answers because when those answers become natural to you when you can kind of just feel them and you know who the character is, everything else will become easier in terms of role-playing that character. Final question. How do you team build through storytelling? You don't, don't, uh, don't prep in a bubble. Give your, give your players the opportunity to contribute to the world you're building. Like leave, like Adam was saying, you know, when you're, when you're prepping and doing homebrew stuff, especially generally you want to design and prep from starting small and going out, especially if you're trying to do world building and you're having this storytelling experience give your players the opportunity to make some decisions about the world, to contribute to what's going on instead of basically you, the GM being the sole person who's basically deciding how everything's going to shake out. Yeah. Let them be protagonists in the story and, you know, don't make, don't let the module, if you're following one, you know, just, dictate everything because modules can't possibly be written with your players in mind. Right. So you have to do all that adaptation, which means that it must be adapted. Yep. So, um, that was the last question and, uh, we didn't always follow the rules, but you know, we did better than last time where we had to break up just as many questions into two episodes. So, uh, pretty good. Hey, and I, I think I grew as a person. You know, like <laughs> once I once I get out of my own way. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, sometimes it's good to, to limit yourself uh, on those things. But uh, hopefully everyone found that helpful. I'm sure there's advice here that we gave that, uh, you know, some people would, would, would argue with a little bit. I mean, there's again, there's probably no one right answer. Um, but these are things that we've observed. So. Yeah. And, you know, take take what we said with with a grain of salt. And if you like we've said before, your experience is your experience. And we all experience things differently. Even if we are trying to experience the same thing, how you process it or whether something works for you, you are your own person. And what I like or what Adam likes may be very different than what floats your boat. So if anything, if you hear some advice on this show and, you know, you're, you know, you're not sure where you land on that. Give it a shot. And even if you even if it turns out that you think we were completely wrong, at least you know what feels right for you. Yep. Yep. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up well. All right. Let's take this bad boy home then. Um, thank you everybody for hanging out with us. We really appreciate you taking the time, and we hope that uh that this episode brought you some joy, some answers, some inspiration, dare I say. And if you would like to support us, head on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point, like those wonderful folks we mentioned at the beginning of the show, and you can get your name listed in there with those fine people. Uh, and you can support us at many various levels and if you jump in at the top tier which is 20 bucks a month you can jump into one of our patron games run by mr adam power and he laces those games with plenty of the secret ingredient which is what is it adam it's love man it's love man mm -mm. so Head yeah, on over to if if you care about players, they, they tend to feel that they do. They do. And uh, and if they're not feeling it, make them um, make them make them. <laughs> so patreoncom slash inspiration point. Join our family. And apart from that, uh, you can also check out our website at inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com If you're on a desktop computer, uh, you will see three little bubble buttons in the upper right-hand corner that'll take you to our Facebook, Twitter, and Patreon. And if you're on mobile, those buttons will be right in the top center. So you can hit us up on the interwebs in many different places, and we would love to hear from you. So all that stuff being said, um, think about what questions you have. I'm sure that you've got dozens that we haven't touched on today um, or things that maybe you feel like we addressed completely wrong. And if that's the case, shoot us the questions and we will try to answer them and maybe we'll answer them correctly. Even who knows? So with that in mind, thanks everybody again for listening. And until next time, stay inspired. 
Bye. Bye. Bye.